1: canceled too soon the podcast where we review television series that last only one season or less my name is william Bibiani. i'm a film critic for the rap and bloody disgusting and everybody calls me bibs uh, my name is whitney seibold
0: i'm a film critic for ign and kcrw occasionally
1: yeah
0: and uh, uh people just call me whitney or you're dumb ah yes
1: well in all <laughs> fairness
0: or dumb uh um I, 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 dumb yeah uh yeah I, I published a review over the weekend it Attracted a good deal of ire for about 36 hours, and then it all once the film opened, it all calmed down.
1: Yeah, once they actually saw it and realized you were right, they just yeah. shut the hell up.
0: Uh, which means I'm getting a lot of apologies right
1: now. <laughs> are you really? No, of oh. course not. <laughs> just once. <laughs> just once. I, I want someone to say, "Listen, I saw the movie, and you're right. You're stopped. totally right." Yeah, I, I realize people are going to disagree, and some people are going to agree with us and disagree with us mm. sometimes. But every once in a while, just once, like someone who was just like, "How dare you?" Actually, you were right. This one wasn't very good. Yeah, it's happened at least once or twice once, in my career in a while, but would yeah. be nice i mean or the other way around mm-hmm. we get it the other way around a lot you're an idiot i like this one i can handle that <laughs> it's fine I, I can handle anything it wasn't so bad anyway problems only film critics have Uh, This week on Cancel Too Soon, we are reviewing a show that was selected by our Patreon subscribers. There is no shortage of short-lived sci-fi television out there. And as long as the show has been going, and this is like, what, episode 163? We're up there, yeah. We've barely scratched the surface. Oh, golly, there's
0: so so much more. There's
1: so much short-lived sci-fi. Sci-fi has such a hard time not getting made... Although I'm sure every sci-fi writer will tell you that's true as well, mm. but staying on the air, finding yeah, an audience is so
0: difficult. Science fiction always deals with broad concepts, big ideas, yeah. and uh, they also tend to be very expensive because because they deal with things like space travel and imaginary technologies, and you have things to be able to things that don't to, exist. Th- things that don't exist. You have to create all of those things out of special effects, space aliens. You have to glue body parts to some human. Sometimes you have to animate something or make a puppet. It's a lot of just physical labor involved in making a science fiction show. And takes a lot of money to do that. Yep. So uh, unless a sci-fi show is a hit, it's probably not going to continue very long.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to make a lot of money to make mm-hmm. up the money you're spending on your sci-fi mm-hmm. show. Everyone t- talks about
0: Star Trek. Oh, it was cut short. It lasted three years. That's an eternity in the late 60s. For a
1: sci-fi series? Yeah. yeah. especially for one of the only sci-fi series at the time that wasn't an anthology show like, like The yeah, Outer Limits or Twilight yeah, yeah. Zone. That, that actually was like an ongoing series for adults. Mm-hmm. That was rare. There's a reason why Star Trek developed a cult because it lasted long enough to get one. <laughs> if it lasted 10 episodes and was off the air, we would well, not be talking about well, it. Well, also today. syndication. It was just True, but we had enough episodes different. to justify That's syndication. That's true, yeah, is yeah. my point. So, uh, what we are talking about today is a show from 1973. It aired uh, from September. Whoop! That was um knocking things on the floor. Uh, aired from September 22nd, 1973, through January 5th, 1974, on the Canadian station CTV, but it was syndicated here in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was created by the legendary, award-winning sci-fi author. Cordwainer Bird. Bird. Yeah. (laughs) The great Cordwainer Bird. You know Cordwainer Bird's work. I'll Uh, give you a moment to think of your favorite Cordwainer Bird story.
0: Oh, everybody has a good Cordwainer Bird story. One day, Cordwainer Bird got so drunk on Broadway. (laughs) He's doing his one-man show, his tribute to Mark Twain. Cordwainer Bird isn't a person.
1: (laughs) Cordwainer Bird is the official Writers Guild pseudonym for legendary sci-fi author Harlan Ellison.
0: Uh, Legendary sci-fi author, well-known ideal man, and notorious dickhead.
1: Mm. And by oh, the I like the like way you said that. Not idea man, but ideal man. Because idea. not only did he have a lot of great ideas, he was an idealist in terms of how he thought he should be treated, how the industry should be treated, how sci-fi should be treated, and if you didn't meet his ridiculously high standards, he would talk shit about you until the end of his life, and he did. Yep. <laughs> he was such a much Given the opportunity, uh <laughs> ask him about sitting on the edge of forever. Better yet, don't do that. Don't
0: <laughs> don't ask him about sitting on the edge of forever.
1: <laughs> Harlan Ellison sadly passed away A couple of years ago But fortunately he was a very uh, talkative person And there are interviews mm. out the wazoo About all of it Including an hour long interview We listened uh, with him Just explaining everything that went wrong with The Star Lost The giant Earthship ship Ark Drifting through deep space Over 800 years into the far future Its passengers, the descendants of the last survivors of the dead planet Earth, locked in separate worlds, heading for destruction. Unless three young people can save the star lost.
0: Can I be of assistance? I love that
1: guy. He's my oh, yeah. favorite, he's my favorite character. Yeah, the, uh, favorite character is the voice is, of the computer. Is the
0: computer? Um, yeah, the Star Lost has a, a very pessimistic concept, and it's actually a very pessimistic show.
1: Oh yeah, very it, much It so. has
0: a very little good to say about humanity, its strength, and its ability to last.
1: Uh, it's uh, a hell of a concept, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is and uh, you heard some of it in the opening here, uh, mm-hmm. through a mysterious calamity that they don't get into, maybe they would explain it later, but who the hell knows uh, Earth became uninhabitable and all the people of Earth work together to build an ark. And this isn't like we're going to put 3,000 people on a spaceship and send them off. Mm. This is putting everyone on the planet on a giant spaceship. And each civilization is given their own biosphere mm. where they are allowed to live and thrive in, free from anyone else's yeah, influence There are for hundreds of years. Literally 800 years in the future. So I want you to think about this. This isn't like, oh, everyone's just going to be living on a space station and trying to achieve some sort of harmony like Deep Space Nine. This is, everyone is on this giant spaceship, but they don't talk to each other. So imagine all of, like, the evangelical Christians have their own biosphere and they that's it people are cordoned off by profession and by culture yeah so they're all everyone who makes guns they have their own biosphere everyone who studies bees they have their own yep. biosphere that's a small biosphere i, imagine, <laughs> I guess so. they, they uh, do the, have one
0: all the doctors are in one biosphere yeah. um all the somehow like all the men like there's a patriarch episode so like a patriarchy has well, their own and, biosphere. and that
1: one they turned on the women which oh, was that, yeah, really dark right, and fucked right. up um yeah and the idea is and i love this idea for this purpose mm. uh we're going to follow three characters who get kicked out of their biosphere we'll tell you all about they're, the they're in the
0: Amish biosphere by
1: the way I was gonna build to that because right. I love that they're in the Amish biosphere they get kicked out of the Amish biosphere, and now they're all of a sudden they find out they're on a spaceship and they have no idea. Lost on this planet-sized spaceship. And it turns out the spaceship is on a collision course with a star, and Mm. they don't know when it's going to collide. It could be today, it mm. could be two years from now. All they know is the ship is broken. They don't know how to fix it because they're Amish, and they have to run around the entire planet-sized spaceship trying to find... Someone who knows anything about this ship. they'll, They'll take repair manuals, they'll take Anyone who's got any basic idea of how shit works. And in the meantime, they go to all of these different societies. And And they've all devolved into savagery. Every (laughs) single society they run into is dystopian. So what you have here is an episodic television series in which every episode, your characters visit a new dystopia. Mm. It's like sliders, but every single one of the alternate realities is on the same spaceship. And... uh, Harlan Ellison
0: clearly felt this way about humanity. Like, there's there's not a path in Harlan Ellison's mind that will lead to a utopia that will save humanity.
1: No, the, the only the hope we have is, is young idealists who will not, like, give in to stupid bullshit. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's all he's got. These are the and, and only chance we have. And unfortunately...
0: They have no experience. They don't know how the machine works. Yeah. And They're they Amish. They don't know how any machines and, work. And they can't convince anyone. They constantly fail. I know. <laughs> so it's such a, such a for the first, terribly depressing premise. For the
1: first five or six episodes of The Star Lost, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll say this right now, it's a cheap show. It looks cheap. Some we, of the costumes are embarrassing, like truly embarrassing. And, and they there there were some sets, but they mostly seem to film on blue screen. Uh huh. Which and this is seventies blue screen, which is so you can like see the blue outline yeah. outside of each actor, which is at best you want to tell them, "Nice try." Like that's yeah. uh, like, you, you you pick it up, you get what they're doing, my, but it yeah. never looks convincing. Land
0: of the Lost was like it's Land of the Lost level about yeah. there. Which when was Land of the Lost contemporary to this? Right? Yeah, it's, r- it's around 70s? that time, yeah. around the
1: seventies. For about the first five or six episodes of this show, mm-hmm. again, it's cheap. It's slow. Uh, it's I don't think it's anything that. slow, yeah. But the concept had me riveted. Because okay. I loved the concept. The concept reminded me of, like, you take the Fallout games now, and then you work backwards, and you can see that someone who p- wrote the Fallout games... Mm-hmm. Probably saw star lost at some point in their lives because it's all about people living in isolation all of a sudden sent out into a giant dystopian world full of different outposts and everything each one has their own crazy stories in it each one has evolved mm-hmm. in its own complete isolation yeah, like, and there's a full of mysteries yeah. and there's full of artifacts from centuries ago which are high tech technology to the protagonists now there's full of conspiracies and everything it's a good setup Mm-hmm. I maintain this as much as as much shit as we'll talk well, about the show. It's a good start for a show.
0: It's a good start for a show. It feels like the premise of a show that's going to debut on HBO today. Yeah, this sort of like your your weekly dystopia. Yeah, and and like the Westworld tone, you could do yeah, that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. and you know HBO because they got a lot of money can like pour some money into it, into the special effects and into some of the bigger ideas. Yeah. Make them look good rather than just compositing actors in front of giant bees.
1: <laughs> we'll get to the damn bees. <laughs> the bees is the episode where the show completely lost me forever. Oh, the that, bees, was, that was
0: kind of late in the run, too, It was. Yeah. But like,
1: bees, I was just like, and we're done here. Yeah. This is the stupidest episode of any show I think we've ever reviewed. <laughs> like, Aside from failed pilots like Where's Rodney, where you don't know how they got one episode, Like, one of the dumbest episodes we've ever done. Is in The Star Lost, easily, <laughs> and by far. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Um, so the show stars, actually, a uh, Care uh, Delay. Care mm-hmm. uh, Delay, who is probably oh. best known as Dave from 2001 A Space Odyssey. He was also in Black Christmas. He was a bit of a get. You know, he was considered the star, the person mm. they were able to, to well, snag for the show. Especially in the sci-fi world, because this was only like six
0: years after 2001. Yeah, it was still like pretty five, fresh. five or six years. Yeah. So he was still known, and that was still touring around the country. It might have still been playing. Yeah. So yeah, he was well, well known in the sci-fi community. Now, sci-fi fandom was a lot different in the 60s. Yep. It was all right into magazine columns and weird tales and sci-fi magazines. And you got to realize,
1: it wasn't all franchise-based the way yeah, it well, is now. There were a few franchises out there, but for the most part, if you were a sci-fi fan, you just liked all sci-fi and you would absorb everything. Yeah. So like, get well, Planet of the Apes or whatever, but not a lot else.
0: I uh, I was actually thinking about this recently, how, you know, we, we think about sort of like geek and nerd culture today and it's all pop stuff. It's all pop culture, big mm. special effects movies, genre movies, mm. video games. Most of it, and, yeah, a and lot I'm of it, th- yeah. And I was thinking back to like... My like, I have an uncle who's like Generation One geek. He he tooled around with Gary Gygax. He read Ben Bova novels. Um, he also collected guns. But Ben uh, Bova, who worked on the show, who worked on exactly, uh, just there was this earlier generation of nerds where they were all into very technical things. They were all into the sciences. They were all into engineering. And nerds originally were all deep into. High culture. They were into classical music. They were into opera. They were into weird instruments. Well, the they were into renaissance sci-fi stuff. Sci-fi yeah. stuff at the time was about big ideas. Exactly, about exactly. Being intelligent. And science fiction, the reason nerds latched onto it then is because nerds were saying, well, this is kind of an extension of high culture. This is dealing with big ideas and big philosophies. And I feel like that connection has been lost. At some point, geek severed itself from high culture and became sort of a pop culture entity unto itself. The argument originally was, you know, people are dismissing this because it's just pop culture. And the nerds were saying, no, no, this links up very directly to all of this high culture. And I feel like that that link is gone now. It's yeah, just, that's just something severed it's, Yeah, that, yeah. It's, it's in a bubble onto it all by itself. Yeah. And now it's evolving in its own biosphere. And <laughs> going totally and dystopian. And we're going into a totally dystopian area, which ties directly back into. The, I was thinking about this. What would geek culture look like in a star lost biosphere unto itself? That's yeah. been severed off from the main body. It's fascinating. Pe- people would be killing each other over who gets to play Captain America. You know, yeah. there would be a war zone.
1: Well, yeah. Mm. Done. Yeah, 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 I agree. It's Gamer, G-
0: Gamer. Tragic. Or what are you Gamer do GamerGate is what it would look like.
1: Uh, anyway, let's uh, okay. And uh, also, we there is more members of the cast oh, haven't gotten to yeah. them yet. Sorry, you you cut me off, you monster. Terribly sorry. I have big ideas. <laughs> uh, hold on. Oh, I, uh, oh, here we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, it took, took me a second to...
1: Uh, uh, notable okay, uh, so we got Gay Rowan as Rachel, who is uh, Carrie DeLay's... Uh, he loves her, but their love story is actually not super important after the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there is Robin Ward, who plays Cara DeLay's best friend, Garth, uh, who is also in love with Rachel. And who gets uh, jettisoned from the biosphere along with them. Uh, to hear Norman Harlan Ellison talk about it, the original idea was that Garth was going to be like hunting them down through the ship. Okay. Uh, because Ciar stole the woman he wanted to marry. Mm. Uh, but by the end of the first episode, that's gone. Yeah.
0: Um, well, and Garth, Garth is... Delay is like uh the sort of like the leader. He's a little bit more clear thinking. Mm-hmm. He's the uh,
1: idealist. He's the one he's, who always wants to do the right mm-hmm. thing. And, but he's also the man of action.
0: uh uh, Rachel is the one who's sort of the, the compassionate one. She's trying to force, kind of find an emotional angle to whatever problem More to having, diplomacy, yeah. diplomacy and being empathetic, yeah. 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 And, uh, and, uh, Garth is—he's like the hammer. He's just yeah. the, the one who wants to just sort of do damage and I like fight it. his way out. I like anything. that.
1: By the last episode of the series that we got, mm. uh, Garth—even Garth—is just like, "What am I doing here? Do, <laughs>
0: we, do you need me?" Yeah, there's one one episode where he gets to just sort of live in a biosphere. It's
1: like, "You don't need my help. I'm not helping you guys." Yeah, I, I'll just do my own thing, and we'll be hmm. cool, right? And what's weird is that never gets resolved. <laughs> That's just it. Um, those are that's our main cast we also have uh, uh what's the name of the guy who's the oh the computer yeah there's one more character who appears in almost every episode mm-hmm. uh in the future of star lost they have a ship's computer which is played by an old man and the old a we- man a weird looking old guy yeah, too. Weird stripes in his beard and everything he's like got, that he's Got stripes in
0: his beard and this wild cartoony hairdo maybe the idea was he was supposed to look artificial like, like a computer's version uh-huh. of a person but he ended up looking like a cartoon mad scientist because he had like these little round glasses and awesome voice he could marry at anything
1: oh yeah he was really cool mm-hmm. um but William Osler that's the name of the uh, actor oh, William, he, okay. had, he didn't have a distinguished <laughs> career which I, I when I saw him I was like surely he's played prominent old man roles in various things but mm-hmm. uh, his his credits are actually relatively minimal and include films like the clown murders starring a young John Candy really yeah uh, and by the way, you hear a movie called The Clown Murders, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. And then you find out it was made in, like, 1975. or right? like, oh, oh now, and I say, now you want to see Now that, I want to yeah. see The Clown Murders. Like, well, if you made that now, like, I would be like, pass. We've talked about the, the,
0: the horrors of post-Grindhouse Grindhouse in the past. Yeah. Uh, that is the movie Grindhouse. Uh, it came out in 2007, and before and after that, there were all these, like, really horrendous movies that sounded like 80s grindhouse movies but they were made in the modern era so their sense of
1: humor was way off Mm -hmm. they tended to be rather lazy Mm -hmm. and cheap and you know back in the 70s lazy and cheap was less lazy and cheap because you Mm -hmm. had to spend more money on cameras you only had a couple of shots you actually had to rehearse them like Mm -hmm. it was just a little bit more effort put into the crap everything
0: yeah everything was shot on film and you could tell like it had actually had a little bit more visual weight to it yeah
1: you want to see the old stuff, so I do want to see the clown murders. If only so I can see William Osler, you know, in mm. his element, like really shine. But yeah, his whole thing is he's basically uh, he's basically their Siri. He just mm. shows up and gives them exposition. But he's he's and this is one of, something that I think uh, eventually would get imported to Lost. The idea that they have records, mm. but they're incomplete. So they would ask for information, and he would be like, "Ah, yes, well, that's because of file redacted," and it sounds yeah. really ominous and important. They totally did that on Lost, where they would oh, find okay. like a video that explains everything that's going on, but there's like five minutes missing. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so, like, what they is, get they get some information, but there's still a mystery. It was such is
0: a... is Lost the most
1: aggravating show ever made? It could be. Yes, there were times when Lost like... was easily the most aggravating show ever made. They're, I... they're
0: doing that on purpose.
1: They Curse were. you, JJ. They um, were, but Star Lost, I think, was one of the shows that started playing with that first.
0: William Osler was really good about like behaving like a computer and when he had to do things like the computer was shutting down or yeah the file was redacted it mm. felt really artificial i thought he gave the best performance on the show. <laughs> I, think you're
1: right. I liked all of his scenes. There were a few <laughs> really good, like uh, guest starring performances. There's this um, one robot they run into who's like I wish had been part of the main cast, like Th- Zeta Thau. I oh think yeah, yeah. The- yeah, she's funny. Uh-huh. Like I, w- I really wish they would have kept her in the main cast because he was she was a breath <laughs> of fresh air, um, way more personality than any human. And, and, <laughs> uh,
0: and because this is uh, ostensibly anthology ish, because they deal with a different biosphere in every episode, uh, it gives the producers a great excuse to include a lot of guest stars. Yep. So we have Simon Oakland from <laughs> everything. Are we going to see Simon?
1: Um, are we going to see everything Simon Oakland ever go, we did? We are going to
0: see every Simon Oakland film he's ever made, yes.
1: And we also have like an astonishing number of actors who would go on several years later to co star in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. Like, like seriously, like, we, we've got, mm. um, oh, oh, hang on. Uh, <laughs> right? uh John Colicos.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's we, the bad guy in Battle Circle, actually? Yeah, and he's oh, yeah. another
1: bad guy here. Um, and, and many others as well, mm. and we'll run into them. Yeah, uh, John. Over time.
0: Uh, Lloyd Bachner is in one episode. Um,
1: uh, Walter Koenig
0: is in uh, two episodes. Yes, yeah. uh, they were com- setting him up
1: to be a recurring villain, and mm-hmm. they didn't have time. Yeah, um, Walter Koenig, who shows up in the most, the second most embarrassing costume. The most embarrassing costumes are from the all male society, where all the dudes are wearing like kind of fleshy American gladiator stuff, but they all have the number zero on their chest and really cheap plastic gladiator helmets. <laughs> they look idiotic. They look terrible. Hey, look,
0: we don't know what fashion's going to look like in 800 years. Everybody could be wearing fiberglass at that
1: time. Yeah. We don't know. But Walter Canning shows up, and it's you know, it's one of those like early futuristic sci-fi stuff where they thought, like, well, it's the future. They'll probably be wearing something metallic and shiny. Mm-hmm. Who came up with that? Who was the first person who said metallic and shiny because it's the future? And, and and who believed them? And who well, said
0: yes? At, at some point, somebody came up with the word sleek to describe modern electronics. It's like, look at this laptop. Look how thin it is. Really? You want it thin? I don't want a laptop I feel like I could break over my knee.
1: <laughs> Make that
0: thing thick and heavy. I don't give a damn. Yeah. Why do, I, why, why do I have to pinch my phone on the side? Why isn't there a handle on that sucker? Mm-hmm. Make it bigger. Why don't we just put a cord on the phones? We mm. always know where it is. Put big buttons. Here's what I want. More buttons. Bring the buttons back. <laughs> I don't want everything to be sleek and smooth. I want them chunky and clinky.
1: Anyway, Walter Canick shows up in this really, really bright, mm. spangled gold jumpsuit with two long breast pockets, like vertical breast pockets oh, yeah. that are white. <laughs> he looks. He looks like someone decided to make like... Their like power outlet look fabulous. <laughs> like it's just a terrible. Look. And bless Walter a, Koenig. He's a, he's a, he's committed to the part. He's trying, actually kind of is, an interesting character. I, I, but tried to,
0: I tried to think of what those pockets could be used for. And I could only think of one thing, knitting needles, <laughs> He's got to be in there. That's the only thing you could fit in big, long breast pockets like that.
1: Here's a story I think I told before, but uh, um, you know, back when uh, comics all had letters columns before everyone had like online forums to talk yeah. about the comics. I actually but submitted. They don't, have, they don't have them anymore. Not usually. Oh, that's a pity. I know. I've seen them once in a while, but it's not standard anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I submitted a letter to a comic book called Freak Force, which is an offshoot mm. of Eric Larson's Savage Dragon series that I was quite mm. fond of. lasted a year or two. It was pretty good. Uh, but uh, I sent in a letter, and my letter was full of questions—some mm. serious, some not. And uh, Eric Larson actually published it and hey. answered the questions. So there's an uh, wow, there's, there's an issue of Freak Force. I forget which one, but there's only like 14, so you can find <laughs> it pretty easily. In which I have a letter at the end. Oh, that's and so cool. One of my questions Is that, was: Did it uh, print your
0: name, William Viviani, or I was it just, so. like William might California? Be, it
1: might be William California. Yeah. I, I honestly don't recall. But uh, one of the questions was. Because uh, there was a character in Freak Force named Super Patriot. And he was kind of a takeoff of Captain America. Mm. and But like uh, ultra-violent, if I recall. He, the idea was he was Captain America and he was totally Captain America-ish. And then he was getting old. And so in order to keep him like, viable, they replaced most of his body with like, cyborg stuff. Oh, but oh, okay. that also let them control him. And then he became violent. And then he found his brain again. So his his body is still this weapon of mass destruction. But his brain is has no interest anymore. His brain is a good guy. Oh, okay, So a bit of a conflicted character. I liked him. Um, but he, one of the things he had, which is something every superhero had in the 90s, they all had giant shoulder pads and they all had pouches. This was a uh, what's his name Rob Liefeld's innovation. Rob Liefeld really popularized this, and mm. a lot of other artists followed suit. It was just what superheroes look like. They all had pouches, not like mm. Batman pouches, where like he you knew that he kept like you know smoke grenades in there. It was just like a few are... things around his waist, like yeah. they were strapped across. You're, like you're carrying a lot of stuff with you. Yeah, when the a implication is that you're carrying a ton of stuff, but we never saw any of them use that. Like Cyclops never actually like opened up one of those pouches and pulled mm. out something useful. I, I think I saw them use like like cigarettes or matches or something. Right, but. Like little pouches. Mostly nothing. It was never something they'd use in the heat of combat, though. So I asked Eric Larson, like, what does this like 90-year-old superhero with arms that transform into weapons Mm. keep in all of his pouches? Mm. And Eric Larson replied, Tums. (laughs) (laughs) Just Tums. Just Tums. They're full of Tums.
0: (laughs) I wrote into two comic books in my life
1: and neither of my letters were
0: published. Remember the comics? Uh, Hellstorm, Prince of Lies. Okay. I wrote into that one and I wrote into The Max. Oh. Which had huge letter poor, like because that had a big cult audience and yeah, they wanted the, the audience to sort of interact. So, yeah, like sometimes uh, the uh, artist, Sam Keith, couldn't produce like enough comic to really sustain a publication, <laughs> so just so it's like a it half a comic. And then the other half was just a bunch of letters. And it was yeah. fun because, you know, it's fun. People would send in like artwork and people would ask weird questions. Also,
1: however long it was, the max was always brilliant.
0: That's true. The Max is a brilliant thing. You, you had to wait for that puppy, though. Oh, like, the, oh, yeah. like, months could
1: elapse in between issues. Yeah. Anyway, back <laughs> to Star Lost. Still my favorite comic book. I, I'm, I'm with you. It's yeah. right up there for me. <laughs> it's super, super amazing. Mm. Anyway, so uh, the Star Lost, we'll talk about uh, all the various episodes. The pilot, is, I think, is quite strong. The pilot, because yeah. what happens is they do this thing that's idiotic, and Harlan Ellison has talked about this, where it opens on the bridge of the spaceship. Uh-huh. And then, like, looking out over the universe and going, whoa. And then it's, like, 24 hours later, or earlier, Uh and you see how they got there. The reason that's stupid is because the whole point of the show was for them to find the bridge, and they would only find the bridge in the last episode. Yeah. And they wasted a ton of money building a bridge set that they never needed That they weren't going to use until the finale of the series, which was who knows when. So they decided to use it in the first episode, and then they decided to change the plot so it's all about them finding the backup bridge. None of that makes sense. Just no. you have to find the bridge. It's a ship the size of a planet. It'll take him a while. Why did we find it right away? And why do we keep it next to the Amish biosphere of all things? It's an yeah, odd...
0: we... The Amish Biosphere wanders out and yeah, like walks like maybe a city block. Like not yeah. a lot, not a great distance. Right there! And they get into the bridge and people are dead on it. Yeah, so like, it's like skeletonized, it's yeah, so, been long ass. So time. something happened, whoever was working the ship. I'm guessing they only had a skeleton crew, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, and something happened where they all died or Went missing,
1: Mm -hmm. and we do see little clutches of people who are still hard at work on the ship, but they're doing their own thing. They don't Mm -hmm. need oversight, and they've just been doing that for centuries.
0: This is the size of a planet. They don't, they don't even necessarily need to report to the bridge or even know what it is. Yeah, exactly. They just need to focus on this little bit of this gigantically complicated machine.
1: So it's kind of like that bit in Dark City, where like in the voiceover at the beginning of Dark City, they tell you the twist in Dark City, and then the rest of the movie continues as if you don't know the twist
0: yeah well you just like the strangers know how to manipulate everything yeah yeah
1: it's like that whole thing you're not supposed to know that yet Mm. they added that because they were worried audiences would get confused so like the director's kind of dark city is mostly just they took that voiceover out more or less (laughs) they added a couple little scenes but mostly it's just that voiceover Mm. is gone and doesn't ruin it still love that movie it's it's brilliant anyway it's just it's a silly way to begin it so ignore that opening we are open with an Amish society. They're mm-hmm. all agrarian. They uh, are very religious and care delay is young and idealistic and he wants to marry Rachel and Rachel seems interested in him. But the leader of the civilization played by the great Sterling Hayden mm-hmm. uh, is like, no, you're a so, rebel and an outsider and you're she's gonna marry Garth.
0: Sterling Hayden seems so confused.
1: I don't think like, so. Well, knows he, what he's doing. Like in this
0: he gets one. out and he's like, "Okay, you're like a, a really stern Amish leader." And he's like, "Okay, I got it. I can like be religious oppressor. I understand that. I, yeah, can, yeah. I can play that kind of a character. Leader of a cult." And, but and, but you're getting all of your advice from this machine, and you're recording into this machine, mm-hmm. uh, like a tape recorder. No, it's like it's like a sci-fi ball.
1: You lost me. <laughs> <laughs> so like the idea is for like half a scene, we think that we're watching like some kind of like like the lottery yeah. or something, just some weird cult. Mm. Civilization and they're all living under a very strict religious doctrine. And mm. the one guy who says, Hey, isn't this all kind of arbitrary? Why are we living by these archaic laws? Mm. And then Sterling Hayden says, No, and I'll tell you how we know is because I'm about to contact God and he'll tell me wh- that Rachel's supposed to marry Garth. And he put mm. these hits these buttons on this ball we never got a good look at before. And then the voice of God comes in and says, Rachel must marry Garth. <laughs> and we're all just like, What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Care Delay like runs off. Mm. And he ends up running to, like, the secret door of forbidden mystery mm. It's kind of like in The Village You know, I'm Night Shyamalan's The Village Okay. Uh, which, if you haven't seen The Village, I'm about to spoil The Village for you because it's stupid mm. uh, But it's another one where it's a very isolated society, a very agrarian society And people are obviously uh, living in very cult-like lives in which they fear the outside world And also there is a forbidden shack of mystery which and with, with, in which all of the plot points are in that shack, mm. and for some reason, just no one goes in there. Well,
0: here's teenagers
1: what, would dare each other to go in there.
0: Here, here's my question: uh, They never discuss like the edge of town. Yeah, no, they're they're contained. They're in a, a physical space, and there's not like a moat around the edge of the biosphere. Yeah. Yeah, like, so, not again, like these big, people do not know they're in a
1: spaceship, that's no, in, where we're at right now
0: In the HBO series, they do some big special effects where everything looks are artificial so There's like a there's, hologram yeah, outside the, or like, Eventually, or there's, like, there's like an ocean that they can't traverse, whatever it is yeah. There'd be something preventing them from finding the edge, like in the Truman Show
1: And the idea is that each of these biospheres mm. is supposed to be like 50 miles in diameter They're supposed to be pretty damn big mm. Although I think in the actual concept realization of the show, they made it more like 5 miles so they're really kind mm. of isolated. Instead of feeling like this huge society, mm. it's like a clutch. Yeah. It's like a clutch of humans. Mm. And we usually don't see more than like a dozen people per biosphere. Uh, he runs off into the forbidden shack of mystery and he finds out that there's a whole damn spaceship there's, there's a whole, out there. Yeah, there's a
0: sci-fi hallway
1: on the other side. And he realizes everything they've been doing is a lie. And mm. he like reprograms Sterling Hayden's computer to like undermine his authority. Mm. And eventually he and Rachel run off and uh, they recruit Garth along with them. He was—he didn't want them to go. He wanted Rachel to stay. But uh, through a series of basically bullshit machinations, the cult's just like, and Garth is with them. So he has no choice but to leave. Mm-hmm. They all end up inside the spaceship. They see a bunch of corpses. They run into a computer that explains the basic premise of the plot to them. Mm-hmm. And the idea is this. They're the only three people on the spaceship. Who, who have this information. Who have the information that... The the ship is going to collide. It's on a collision course with a star, but a lot of other data is mysteriously missing. They don't even know how long it's going to take to get there. Mm. So there's this constant sense of urgency. Like, we could blow up today. Mm. Like, we we don't know. could be a year from now. It could be literally today. So we need to race everywhere Mm. at, like, a breakneck speed trying to fix it. Doesn't that sound like a great idea for a video game? It's a great idea for a video game. It's also the basic premise
0: of evangelical Mm proselytizing. When you think about it, you, there's, um, I did, did a little, I listened to a lecture on, uh, on the new Testament and how there was various schools of thought surrounding ancient Judaism and how like different author, the different authors of the new Testament, uh, of the specifically the, the four main gospels were, uh, took a different philosophical approach to religion and that there was this very strong streak of apocalypticism Mm -hmm. running through ancient Judaism that leaked into some versions of modern Christianity. The end is nigh. You have to be saved right now because it's almost too late. It's been almost too late for 2,000 years.
1: Um, But, you know... And we have that, and that's something something humans gravitate towards. Yeah, well... That sense of urgency in our lives, like, oh, no, mm -hmm. we need to do... and, And sometimes it's true. Sometimes we do need to do something about the rise of fascism or else it will destroy our way of life. Or sometimes we do need to do something about climate change or else it w- we're seeing tangible well, effects also, right now. But well,
0: that's just, it's also a long view of individual mortality, isn't it? Yeah. You have to do things right now because you will die eventually. Exactly. This is just the death of everything rather than just the death of the individual. So it's all and a big I, metaphor I was, for
1: being diagnosed with a terminal disease.
0: Well, I, I, I saw the Star Lost as a, being a big metaphor for, uh, for Christianity. <laughs> that even though Harlan Ellison, I think it was a pretty Hardline atheist. Um, this is sort of like the atheist version of proselytizing. Mm-hmm. We are doomed as a society. We've effed everything up, mm-hmm. and you have to listen to these young idealists and their message as they go door to door, giving you the truth. Otherwise, you're doomed. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's it's like a an atheist version of a Christian metaphor. Uh,
1: the the next episode mm. uh, is called Lazarus from the Mist. Uh, in this episode, gotta
0: love these classical references and old sci-fi titles. Ah, stuff. I know
1: uh, the original title for the pilot episode, by the way, uh, was "Phoenix Without Ashes," and that is a total Harlan Ellison <laughs> title. Harlan Ellison, who wrote stories like "I Have No Mouth Yet I Must Scream" mm. or uh, "Repent, Harlequin," said the TikTok man. <laughs> <laughs> Both great stories, it, by evocative, the way. yeah. yeah. Um, and that that title, "Phoenix Without Ashes," was retitled "Voyage of Discovery." Hmm. Yeah, Voyage of Discovery at least least is kind of inspiring. It's It's okay. It doesn't really. It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't. It's not evocative of anything. Mm. It doesn't get you excited.
0: Lazarus from the mist is Uh, the
1: caveman episode, sort of. So uh, they find that a lot of people are in cryogenic stasis on this ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to have that explained to them, because they're Amish. Because they don't know what cryostasis means, and I or, actually do or
0: what a spaceship is. I actually
1: do appreciate that as the series goes on, they actually do sort of organically get more comfortable with technology. Mm-hmm. Like, at first, they're to like, open up sci-fi doors. They're kind of just hitting it. Yeah. Whatever, and after a while, they realize, oh, keys. Yeah, we can just oh, that opens.
0: The, okay, now every time we do, we do that. Okay, yeah. they learn.
1: They do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, so the whole thing is they found cryogenic, uh, people in cryogenic stasis, and they found someone who according to the records is a specialist mm-hmm. and like can help like with the engines and everything like that and fix stuff so they're like well we should wake him up and yeah. then they talk about do we have the right to wake him up is that fair and then it turns out that Thought very like very much like that movie passengers uh, yeah actually yeah. except except it actually has the morality of that thing of the, actually that, on its mind. Actually yeah. cares about the morality of it because Passengers once Passengers ignores the morality of it. Passengers is an evil movie. Um <laughs> I try I interviewed the director about that and mm-hmm. I tried to get him to explain how the the, the immorality of what they were doing. Yeah, well. and it's it's he he just was completely obtuse about mm-hmm. it. And it was so weird to me that like that wasn't a conversation they had. Mm-hmm. It's one thing if he had a different perspective on it. It's just no well, one, he, th- no, it didn't occur to you how creepy your movie is? His, his response was always, well, it's a love story. And
0: if he said, well, it's a love story and love makes you do immoral things, that would be a legit
1: response. Yeah, but the movie would be darker than it is well, as that's a result. True, yeah. In any case, they wake this guy up. Turns out there's two problems. One, he's the wrong kind of specialist. Like, he, the, the, he was mislabeled. <laughs> They, he, was, he was like a dentist or he was a medical guy, No, it, what was he? it. He was something,
0: he was just something kind like, of at generic. Least, at least he was he was around when the ship was built, so he had at least
1: somewhat of a working knowledge of what it was. Yeah, it turns out his wife who had the same last name as him, she was the specialist. She was mm-hmm. the one who built the ship and so, he was yeah. like in, in charge of other things. So they should have tried to get instead. the scientist but they got the husband by mistake. Yeah, and he's dying. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he has like some. Was he dying before he went into cryostasis, or did put him in cryostasis
1: because he was dying of like a degenerative disease and he would he would die within hours? Mm. So they woke him up so he can die, pretty much. And they're both and they're all just like, oh shit. Well, and and I like that they did something that they thought was a good idea, but it had consequences, and they responded to that. And I think that he played it very well.
0: It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna die. This is not right. We're in danger oh shit <laughs> and he it's does
1: like, and he, he, it's, it's kind of like uh, Lawrence Fishburne in Passengers when he gets to that point in the movie oh, yeah. where he, they wake him up and he's just like this is terrible this is bad and everything's you screwed. did everything bad yeah, everything, everything's and, but wrong, yeah. at the moment there's an emergency and we have to deal with it and he does the best he can but he can't do much and that, that, that's it that's mm-hmm. the whole episode it gives them a little bit more exposition and I love that it makes their situation all the more dire And but uh, we also
0: learn in this episode that what's happened to the crew and the crew have devolved mm. like the People take oh, yeah, they're here. like
1: cavemen yeah, on the crew. Yeah. Ca- the,
0: the crew are now pretty much cavemen. It's like in Red Dwarf. They like left a cat in the hallway, and somehow the single cat evolved. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Yeah. And it, and Not it sure evolved, how that works, it, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the impression I got was that it was one cat that was alive, like... Two, two million years ago And it evolved And just got
1: smarter And became a person
0: Yeah somehow that one cat Became a person <laughs> I get getting smarter
1: I'm not sure how it physically Changes <laughs> into a dude And, and right.
0: also it was alive A million years Like is the cat immortal I
1: don't know Anyway the next episode Is called the goddess Calabra Uh okay plot But this is the one With the stupid ass costumes <laughs> It was the 70s, all right? It was another time. No, even for the 70s, I'm sorry, those Centurion hats they're all wearing (laughs) are, like, the cheapest plastic crap you could get from any Halloween, like, store. Like, today, any Halloween store would have a better hat Uh, than that. I appreciate this one. This is
0: uh, the anti-patriarchy episode. Mm -hmm. What would happen if men took over? It turns out men are dicks and they'd devote themselves to war. Uh, They see a woman, and they lose their frickin' minds. The The leader of the patriarchs wants to marry Rachel, and she's like, no, this is
1: idiocy. Rachel shows up, and everyone bows down before her because Mm. they have decided that after they decided to kill all the women, uh, they turned women into gods. Mm. They've been recreating through uh, cloning this entire time. And, uh, yeah, so women are remembered... But they're treated as gods. So now that there's suddenly a woman in the world, their leader, their evil leader, played by the great John Colicos, mm. uh, who was uh, Balthazar, not Baltar, uh, Baltar, Baltar, Gaius Baltar in uh, Balthazar Galactica, the original, he immediately says, well, I have to marry her mm. because... Because he's... Well, he set himself up as a god. He's like Caesar. Yeah, basically. So there's, there's, two, there's two things going on here. If mm. people think she's a god and I marry her, I become a god in their eyes. Secondly... Her very existence undermines my authority, yeah. so if she marries me, then Roman. I become part of her story, and I remain in power and also it's, it's all calculating. I never got the sense that he's doing this out of
0: like awe or faith, even though he does respect and admire her. he is clearly taking advantage of
1: her and he and he also says that the way that their civilization works, and it's very great it's very Roman. Mm. Um, if you can beat up the leader, you you're the leader. That's uh-huh. not literally what the Romans did, but every time... This is one of the problems with Roman civilization is that they never had, like, a clear line of succession. Mm-hmm. And every time the emperor died or was, like, defeated in a battle, everyone had to fight over who got the throne. Mm-hmm. So John Colicos is getting a little older, and he's like, there's only a matter of time before some young guy gets in a lucky shot and I'm dead. But if I'm a god, <laughs> I get to be leader forever. And it's great. <laughs> I actually really like the relationship he has with the priest, There's like two leaders, all male in this society. He rules the politics. And then there's the priest who's like like the Archbishop of Canterbury and Mm. he's like set him up, but now he takes the religion really, really seriously and they're at odds. And there's a bit where the Archbishop is just like, you know this is all wrong and immoral, right? Mm. And John Colicos is just like, Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I have been taking this too far. I still feel bad. Technically they still have to marry her though. No you don't, damn (laughs) it (laughs) Well well, I I, I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it's a again narratively it's fine yeah it's totally fine it's reasonably well written it just looks absurd everyone <laughs> looks like they jumped out of a Doctor Who book not Doctor Who a Doctor Seuss book oh <laughs> like a, uh, so they just
0: say like a Doctor Who novelization those must have been pretty cheap too no really. I
1: suppose they would be uh, let's see what was the next
0: episode here it's uh, a, a two part episode uh, the Pisces and the return was that
1: a two parter yeah was it it kinda okay. I don't remember that being a two-parter. Well, anyway, uh, no, it's uh, it's just the Pisces. Oh, okay, you're that's right. all I got. Anyway, the Pisces is uh, there was a, hey, I guess the next one was the children. Okay, I don't yeah, know where I'm the, getting out of. It one turns one. out the Ark has scouting crafts, and the whole idea is they're not supposed to be on the Ark forever. They're supposed to find an inhabitable planet, right? So there's a scouting craft that has been with three people on it that has been out searching for inhabitable planets. They haven't found anything, and they arrive, and it's a guy and his two lieutenants, both happen to be women. I like that. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that's the way it is. Um, And they come back, and they're a little surprised that everyone is dead. (laughs) Because they've been gone for like a decade. Like, my wife should be here. Where is she? And hey, where's my family? And they think they've been gone for like five or ten years, which is a long time, but they thought they'd be coming back to something they recognized. What they didn't realize is that they entered into some kind of time vortex, and now everyone is... and now it's been like 500 years. Right. And on top of it all, they have... Space senility. <laughs> so, somehow,
0: spending that much time out in space like messes with your brain. The idea now, that, that's that's an old Star Trek conceit, like mm. space madness.
1: Space madness usually mm. tends to refer to isolation, yeah, though, like a and cabin like fever. and like coming face to face with the infinite, and it's too much for your mind to handle. Here, they are physically young. And they've only experienced so much time, but actually, now that they're back, it's like their bodies want to catch up to the past, that, to the world that they left behind. Mm. So they're rapidly aging, and it's starting to affect their brains. It almost sounds like it makes sense. However, it's one of the things that, apparently, uh, the science advisor on the show, Ben Bova? Uh-huh. Uh, uh Rather renowned sci-fi author, Ben Bova. Uh Yeah, apparently it's one of the things that drove him nuts. And to the extent that, and we're going to talk about some of the other like ridiculous sci-fi things because there's like pretty good sci-fi. There's I'll accept it for the purpose of this episode, and then there's that's fucking stupid, and they're all on the Star Lost. Ben he wrote a book called The Star Crossed, which was all about a sci-fi technical advisor working on a show that is doing really dumb shit. There's a novel about how stupid it was to work on the Star Lost that exists out there, and I really want to read it, because I bet it's really funny. Um, I actually really like the cast in this episode, though. Um, um, Like Lloyd Bachner and Carol Lazare and Diana Barrington, they're actually all like... They feel like they came in off of their own show. They have their own dynamic. There's a bit um, where they're really struggling with what's happening to them. They're they're, they're giving some good performances here.
0: And it's only those performances that are giving us that because, like... (sighs) The aesthetics of this show are so bad. So bad. Like it's not just the costumes, the 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 sets when they were constructed at all didn't look really good. They didn't look livable or lived mm. in at all. No, they just look like flats.
1: They just look like, a... like flats that they just yeah. moved into place, and you can see the seams in the and the carpet. And we all, we already
0: that. talked about the bad blue screen. So the idea that these people are moving throughout this great vast space is never really there. Mm. Like when you get a, like all these glory shots of the exterior of the ship, maybe you can get it. But I feel like at the beginning of every episode, they just sort of walk into a room. There's not a sense of, and here, like the introduction. Here's Biosphere Number Four Eight Six Eight Two, mm. and they're gonna wander inside. And
1: every single and, and, every and single, single door to the biosphere yeah, just leads directly into like the center of t- the town square. Yeah, like yeah. like City Hall or somewhere significant. Mm. They're never just like out somewhere random. Mm. And I get that. That's a time saver. We're just not supposed to talk about that. Well, because like you want them to end up in something dramatic and not just like run into like two guys on a bus stop and like hang out there waiting for the bus and then give up and go back but into but the think ship. But think
0: how wonderfully dramatic it would be if like they opened the door at the beginning of every episode and it's something unexpected each time. It's yeah. Like on, now they are ne- like behind a bus stop in
1: the side of a big building that looks like modern day New York. i like, so amazed weird. that they kept it on a set the entire time. Yeah. All of these bioseries are supposed to like look vaguely. Like a real yeah, civilization. Go to, outside. Go to the CTV back lot. Surely you yeah. have a set, like a Western city and a Throw sci-fi in a few sci fi bits here and there just to yeah. remind you you're on a ship, and we're good. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit? It's so weird. Just things. do what. Yeah. He's committed to the cheapest set. Put,
0: put a, a cheap fake tree. Put a little like c- like circuit panel on it, and have yeah. somebody like peel back a leaf. Look any, and, and look. This go is an artificial tree. Go to any house, it's fine.
1: Outside the windows, put something like sci-fi, y like weird colors mm-hmm. or something like that, and you're good. And all of a sudden, the sets will look good. The sets look terrible. What have you got to lose? <laughs> the next episode is Children of Methuselah. And they run into a uh, a biosphere on the ship, in which everyone there is a child, and not only a child, but an immortal child. They have taken a sci-fi serum that has made them live forever, and they have been constantly running the ship. They think they found. Less, yeah. They think they found the bridge of the ship, which, by the way, they found already. But anyway. They found the bridge of the ship and that it is being manned by all of these children and they try to tell the kids what's happening and the kids don't believe them. That's a recurring motif. Most people don't know who the fuck these people are. Mm. So like half the episode is always trying to convince the new people that they've met that they mean well or Mm. that there really is a spaceship out there. The kids are smug a-holes. They don't believe in playing. There's this arbitrary scene where you have to teach them how to play um, Blind Man's Bluff. Oh yeah, it's yeah. just insufferable. I hate all every scene like that is always so cloying. And well, then, I, I, I hate that because that's like
0: an adult saying, "Oh well, children, they need to learn how to play. They need to. You need to learn how to play."
1: It's like, well, you don't know they're not having fun. Also, they're hundreds of years old. Yeah, they're they're old. past it. Like, <laughs> come on. So the big the big reveal is that the whole thing is they're navigating the ship, and so our heroes are like. If you're navigating the ship, why are we in a, in a collision course with a star? And the kids say we're we're not. Mm-hmm. And so that leads to a question: Is who's got the faulty information? And it turns out, and Care Delay ends up like putting all his eggs in this basket. Uh, he sabotages their console so that they can't do everything they need to do, and he looks at like the ship's going to explode. And it turns out, all of these centuries, they've never been running the ship; they have only been running drills. Mm-hmm.
0: Just in case, because uh, they're like part of some sort of uh, gifted child program that was meant to take over the ship in case there was
1: a disaster. Yeah. And they never got the memo that there was. So I'm fine with that. But here's my problem. Shouldn't those kids now be looking for the bridge? They're the ones who know how to run it. (laughs) They know how well, uh, to run it. <laughs> well, it's, bring them with you. It's been it's been so many centuries.
0: My guess was it had been so many centuries that they actually don't know how the ship operates. They
1: anymore. know more than three Amish people, but uh, this is true. <laughs> I'll give you this of the of the two Amish people from space TV series we reviewed. This oh. is certainly more interesting. That's true.
0: The People was dull as dishwater. And this is a dull film, a uh, dull film, a dull TV series as well. Yeah. Because this is nineteen, this is an hour-long program, and this is 1970s hour-long, which means like 52 minutes mm-hmm. or more. We so, talked about that before. So every episode and is padded. It's, it's really padded. They speak really slowly. They deliver exposition very gradually. It's not that the stories are complicated or the concepts need that much introduction. It's just they don't know how to pick up the pace. mm mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you watch old episodes of Star Trek, which was before this. That thing moves like a steam engine compared to this. Compared to this, hell yeah.
1: Anyway, the next episode is And Only Man Is Vile. (laughs) Really good title. Uh, This one co-stars Simon Oakland, uh, who was in every TV show at the time. Still most famous for playing the doctor at the end of Psycho, who explains everything that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Simon Oakland and his assistant have a wager going that they can test... The strength and stamina and friendship of these three people by setting them at odds with one another, with basically well, by introducing a Yoko Ono into their group. Just someone well, yeah, who, like, split them up romantically.
0: Um, and it's all based on this very cynical conceit that um, this guy is sort of, like, playing with evolution. He's trying to prove that humanity is is fundamentally self-destructive. Yeah and which means if you think back to what sort of the premise of the show is what Harlan Ellison was trying to prove is that you know no avenue is going to provide us hope and that's a very, kind of a very cynical premise even harlan ellison is saying that cynicism itself is also <laughs> a bad path to take yeah Cynicism about humanity itself is a bad path from this very cynical premise that it shares a very, you
1: know, of course, of course, the problem with that, though, is that our protagonists are protagonists and they are not going to really turn on each other. So rather than tell a story about, you know, human frailty, it's a story about how humans overcome all frailty. And it kind of undermines that message a little bit. But anyway, the next episode is Uh, really stupid. This is the one with Walter Koenig. No, no, no. This is a circuit of death. Oh, what my, list are you looking at? I'm looking at the
0: one on Wikipedia. Um, I'm, I'm
1: going off of IMDb. Okay, so yeah. Episode
0: 7 is the alien Oro. Episode 8 was Circuit of Death, so we can talk about that one. Well,
1: whatever. Circuit of De- I got Circuit of Death next. Right. Um, Circuit of Death uh, is a father and a daughter, I think, and they have uh, escaped from their biosphere, and the dad has basically gone mad and has decided to blow up the entire arc. Mm. They don't like that. They're trying to put a stop to that, but he has already broken things and messed with computers. And the only way to fix the ship's computer... (laughs) Say it. Say it. They have to project miniature versions of themselves into the ship. They shrink. It's the shrinking episode. They shrink into a computer chip. (laughs) But while their bodies are still there, this is how we repair computer chips in the future. This is the one where I imagine the tech supervisor just like... No, just this is the one where it just breaks him, and he just sort of like when he reads this script, he's just like, I don't even know where to begin here, mm. and he just puts it down. And he finishes his whiskey, and he puts on a hat, and he like walks outside, and he just keeps walking. He walks through traffic; he doesn't get hit by a car, but he doesn't care if he does. And he just keeps walking, He keeps walking until he hits the ocean, and he just keeps walking into the ocean he's just, until he's up to his neck, and he's just sort of swimming out there yeah. peacefully, among having the this fishes. great Terrence Malick moment. Yeah. And then, like eight hours later, he reemerges, yeah, and he sun, doesn't remember who is gone he is gone anymore.
0: Down, yeah. <laughs> it's the stupidest it's stupid. goddamn thing. Now, the shrinking episode is a very common trope if you're into Saturday morning cartoons in the 1980s. Mm. Every fantasy-based show had an episode where somebody got shrunk down really small.
1: Yeah. No, and honestly, we kept doing that. Sci-fi shows do that all the time. Yeah. There's a shrinking episode of most Star Trek episodes. Uh, There's a, a uh, one. Next Generation did it. and didn't No, that... there
0: was no shrinking episode of Next Generation. Yes, there was. What are you talking about? What Which am I they, thinking of? You're thinking of Deep, Deep Space Nine, or where they have a little miniature runabout, like soaring around inside another uh, ship. I that
1: was Next Generation. There's DS9. Okay, my bad. They didn't get stupid until the later years of Deep Space There's Nine. There's a great episode of Farscape, where they shrink down. hmm and it's far enough in the series that most of the protagonists aren't even phased by it anymore. They're just like, you know what? This is fine. But there's one new member of the crew who's like, no, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. We shouldn't be able to process oxygen. Yeah, well, How are we alive?
0: That, that was something they dealt with on Deep Space Nine. They said, well, we shrank down. The air in our ship also shrank with us. So yeah. we can breathe in here, but we can't go outside because our, our lungs are too small to process larger oxygen, oxygen atoms. At least they said it. You know I like, <laughs> <laughs> At least they thought of some science here. Uh, they did it on, on Futurama too. They had a funny gag about that, where they shrunk. They had to go down inside of uh, uh, Fry's body. They shrink mm. themselves down to microscopic size. And uh, they said, so what are you going to do? Shrink us, Mr. Professor? He's like, I can't shrink you. That would involve very, very tiny atoms. I can't afford those.
1: (laughs) So instead, he constructed microscopic robots that they projected their minds into. I'm going to start going by your list because it gets really different from mine. Oh, okay. Uh, So I'm just going to we're going to backtrack one. So the the next up we have the the Walter Koenig episode. The
0: the shrinking effect, by the way, was they constructed a big set that looks like a a circuit board. What basically was
1: made by giant Legos.
0: Yeah, it's just this big blocky thing. (laughs) And they would occasionally have like a green screen effect of like someone's eye looking in. Which is and actually those,
1: kind of a neat look. It's, it's a neat it's, look.
0: It reminded me did you ever go on the inner space ride at Disneyland when it was still there?
1: No, that Adventure, sounds amazing. Adventures in
0: Inner Space, where you got no, on well, you got on the that. conveyor belt and it you, like the world got bigger around you or supposedly shrunk down to microscopic size. That was fun. And then at the end you looked up this gigantic tube and you could see the scientist's eye looking at you through the giant tube. That's fun.
1: They ripped it out, it's gone now. Oh, of course not. The, they, they ripped I, it out like in like 80, 88 stand. or something. Alright, next up, uh, the planet Oro. And here we're introduced to Walter Koenig. Mm -hmm. Walter Koenig was who, uh, first off, he's um, Chekhov on Mm -hmm. Star Trek. Walter Koenig was who Harlan Ellison wanted to star in The Star Lost. I'm sure Walter Koenig wanted that a lot. I'm sure he did, too. And then uh, when that fell through, he wanted Walter Koenig to play Garth. Because mm. the studio wanted care DeLay, he was a big star. Walter Koenig was a guy who was in a cult TV series. But that wasn't successful, by the I, way. I get it. I mm. do. But in any case, he wanted Walter Koenig a lot. He was a big fan of Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig ended up playing this guy, Oro, who's in two episodes. Um, Oro is an alien. We're hitting aliens. Kind of quickly, actually. I kind of figured we weren't ever going to do aliens, because <laughs> yeah, there's well- enough There's enough going on. We don't need aliens.
0: Well, and and the aliens kind of wreck something in the show. Mm. It wrecks the sense of isolation, doesn't it? Yeah. That humanity is just sealed off from the rest of the world, and they're eating themselves alive. Exactly. If there are aliens out there, there's somewhere to go. And the outside influence is already our protagonist. Yes. We don't need an additional outside element, because that throws everything out of whack. It puts everything into a bigger perspective. And it makes all of the trials of the things going on in the biosphere seem so much more trivial. Yeah. It's like you have aliens who can help you. Well, you don't need to go around in the biospheres anymore. This seems
1: like something better. Mm -hmm. And indeed, Oro, the alien, might have a solution for them. Well, uh, Oro, in this first episode, uh, he was... I'm trying to remember exactly how it worked. I think he was on like a scouting mission or something, and Mm -hmm. he ended up like kind of crashing into the Ark, and he's been scavenging it. Yeah. He's been trying to fix his own ship by stealing stuff from the Ark, and... Care Delay and everyone, they're just like, "What do we need that stuff? And Oro's just like, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> Just moving on. I don't know. I need it. There's something I really like about Oro as a character in that he's really not evil. He's just only interested in his own self-interest. Mm-hmm. All he cares about is his own ship. He doesn't wish you any ill. He doesn't care if you live or die. Uh-huh. But he doesn't want you to die. If you do, that's a shame. I have to go. (laughs) And that's them. He's obviously intelligent. He could probably fix the Ark if he wanted to. Hmm. He just doesn't. It's not his mission. It's not his goal. And he has only a short window of time to get back to his solar system before the Ark moves so far away that it's impossible. Hmm. Also, he has like a lady assistant he has run into on the ark who is Gar- dying.
0: Garth falls in love with of course but she does she has to leave and there's a big tragedy. Well, the
1: whole thing is Will. her only hope for survival because she is dying and she needs like a very special environment in which to live is to go with Oro to his planet right, but she right. falls in love with Garth, and the whole thing is and they, I like that they ask a moral question here is it more moral to tell her? To stay and live her life the way she wants to, or is it more moral mm. for her to go live the life she, ways she doesn't want to but though, so, that, so that she'll live? Yeah, th- also,
0: Yeah. They, they also, did
1: that crap on Star Trek all of the time. Of course they did, but um, at least we've got it here, and it's mm. always it's always good. And they also wrestle with the idea of, can we use keeping her on the ship to manipulate Oro into staying himself? And if he stays long enough, he's stuck here, and he'll have to fix the ark Because yeah. then he'll die, mm. if, if he doesn't. Oro ends up leaving. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Uh, He'll return later. He will return later in a a pretty good episode, actually. Uh, The next episode we've got on our list is uh, Gallery of Fear. Mm. Um, Okay, so this is an episode in which they end up much like the Simon Oakland episode, they mm-hmm. end up in a biosphere where they're being manipulated. Yeah, they're being manipulated by but, but, by an unseen mastermind, and
0: it, it's like they're manipulated by. And I'm not really sure if it was a metaphor for the arts, or games, or um, like virtual reality. Like, but they're like they're
1: in a museum, or advertising. Basically. Yeah, it's
0: like an advertising museum, and they look at something and they get really cantankerous and they get really hypnotized.
1: Yeah,
0: and as it turns out, the the Malevolent mastermind is looking to evolve Mm -hmm. and it's trying to learn and use the human minds as like a a testing ground for its own like eventual cognitive growth.
1: Yeah, the mastermind is actually a computer Mm. which has evolved in a vacuum on its own until it is artificially intelligent. And, it, and, and you know what i can buy that i actually buy yeah. the, i actually like that a lot uh. i think it raises a lot of interesting questions and i like that they deal with some ethical shit here because in the end of, by the end of the episode they have to decide what do we do do we help magnus no we can't the computer's name is magnus mm. do we help magnus we can't trust magnus magnus will never have our interests at heart he is a computer they ultimately decide that magnus being a machine has less right to live than they do. Mm. So they do kill Magnus. The end of the episode Mm -hmm. is great. The end of the episode is they kill Magnus, and then they walk out the door to the rest of the ship, and they are greeted by another artificial intelligence that just says, I'm one of the other artificial intelligences on the computer. Magnus was not the only one. We talk to each other, and we have a society. We know you murdered him. (laughs) And they're like... we'll be back. (laughs) like okay that's a great setup it's a that's, great it's a great twist it's a yeah. great twist i love that they throw it in their faces mm. that maybe they made a really bad choice And I love that we would get to that at some point. That's Mm. actually a good setup for future episodes.
0: I love that they made their choice, and they kind of wrestle with it ethically, but they seem okay with their decision
1: at the end. It's okay, we'll just turn it off. And again, they're they're Amish. They don't have this relationship with technology the way we do. They don't understand the complexity of artificial intelligence. They don't don't think that a machine might possibly be alive. Yeah, it doesn't occur to them. So it it occurs to them to ask the question, but they pretty quickly come to the decision, we're pretty confident, we're allowed to kill Matt. Mm. And then they find out, no, you weren't. And it's like when you, it's like when you're playing a video game and you have like a moral choice to make and you realize you made the wrong one and it totally changes the rest of the game and you regret making that choice. Well, no, I've never played those games. You never played a game like that. There was a game like there's a game called Chrono Trigger, which is really fun, mm-hmm. where uh, the whole tutorial level is you interacting with a whole bunch of people around the town, and then later on you're put on trial for literally everything you did.
0: Oh, okay. So like, like the, that's that's the way they count your score at the end. Is well, like it's not, uh, it's, it's not
1: a score. It just, just it determines like how you're treated and mm-hmm. whether or not you're a hero or a villain or et cetera. Fallout uh-huh. games were a lot like this, where you yeah, would I'm run sorry. into a society and you have a choice. What do you do? Do you defuse the nuclear bomb or do you set it off because those people are in the way of various other progresses okay. that you have moral choices to make and it affects the whole rest of the game? Um, uh, well, how, how do you beat the game? You, 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 <laughs> do, do, you, do you kill them or do you not kill them? Either way works. Okay, so but, you but beat the game either way. You beat, okay, but beating the game isn't necessarily what you want. What you also mm. want to do is be part of a satisfying narrative. Or you're te- you're de- playing you want, like, the character the, the good you want to play them. Well, the good ending, the bad ending, the satisfying ending. Like, if, are you playing your character as a hero? Are you playing them as an anti-hero? You can play them as a villain. All right. So it's just a matter of is do I f- and if you are in character, you can feel guilty when you do shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. A, a, a video game that makes you feel guilty—how great! Next up, Mr. Smith of Manchester. This is the uh, the Warmonger episode. Yeah, which is very, very, very similar very... to the Patriarchy episode. It,
0: and it, uh, it's a and in that Harlan Ellison way, it's very gentle and subtle. I'm kidding. It's a, as blunt as a gun. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, people have been uh, competing to create better and better armaments. So, of course, they have a really aggressive society. Also, That's kind of it.
1: <laughs> also, these, also, because they're in a biosphere and they're doing all of this like industrial era shit, mm. they've been making so many guns ready for a war with all the other biospheres, which it never occurred to them wouldn't happen, mm. that their whole biosphere is polluted and the air is no longer breathable because right. they've made so much horrible shit. Just in case they have to kill everybody. Their paranoia is taking over. Good setup. Mm -hmm. Like that, you buy it. It makes sense. It's a logical conclusion to a pattern of behavior that we see in real life. This would be a great story for
0: an episode of the animated Star Trek series. Yeah, just you got 30 minutes. You go to a planet. Everything's polluted and it's polluted because they've been making weapons to go to war with a civilization that doesn't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. Good metaphor in and out. Tell the story. Somebody says, I've been such a fool. Well, no better next time. And this, the enterprise flies away.
1: Yeah. Here, that basically happens. Anyway, moving on. Here, it's
0: not revealed until, like, near the end that everything's polluted, so it doesn't really
1: have the same impact. Doesn't Mm. really make a difference. Uh, The next episode According to this list is Astromedics. What a stupid name. It's a stupid name. Can we just talk about what a stupid name
0: that is for anything? Medicine has run amok. (laughs) It's such a weird (laughs) premise. So... These doctors are really interested in the human body, and they've become so interested in the, in the minutiae that they've forgotten the big picture of healing a society and keeping a society healthy. Yeah. So that it's more about doctors competing to know more about these completely useless things. It's very um, Umberto Eco.
1: Yeah, a little bit. The uh, other thing that's going on in this episode is is that Care Delay has been injured really bad. Yeah, 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 that's And right. he might not survive, but they only have two doctors. They have, like, a, a nurse, and they have two doctors, father and son. The father has accepted that he is old and infirm and not a good doctor anymore, and the son is now a cocky hotshot. However, the son could cure Care Delay. However, he has been in contact with other aliens who have physiologies completely unknown to him, Mm -hmm. and he is so scientifically fascinated by the idea of curing the sick without even knowing what their biology is that he doesn't care about Care Delay. Yeah, He's more interested in the scientific discovery than he is in healing the sick. And they have to pull back and forth, and they manipulate each other, and blah, 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 blah. Eventually, mm. the dad realizes he's been a good doctor all along. Care delay is fine. We move the fuck on. The aliens look really stupid. Well, they, uh, they just look real swirmy and swirly. Like, mm. I for the, the person- longest
0: time, like, it's like he was in contact with the aliens. He didn't even know what they looked like, and yeah. they had like a fuzzy vision of them on a view screen. Mm-hmm. And as the episode went on, we got to get like, a clearer and clearer view until we saw them in focus. And they like had these
1: weird foreheads. Yeah. The device. idea of it getting more in focus is neat. Yeah, yeah, but, which have been more of a it, payoff, but yeah, the,
0: the payoff should have been like they're non corporeal, or like they they have you know eight hearts on the outside of their head, or something really weird.
1: Uh, the next up is the implant people. I which, didn't I didn't understand this episode at all. Okay, this episode is basically here's, here's here's I'm gonna break it down for mm. you. It's the patriarchy episode once again. They run mm. into a dystopia who is run by an asshole who, who puts implants in people's brains. Yeah,
0: and like the implants. Are a control system, but they're also like um, like the impetus for a caste system, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like people yeah.
1: people who are downtrodden and poor. By the way, uh, the leader of this society is Donnelly Rhodes, uh, who would eventually be in the other Battlestar Galactica. Oh, <laughs> he would be the doctor in the new Battlestar Galactica, which is oh kind nice. Of fun. Okay, um, yeah, he's he. They've created implants and they put them in their brains, and they can make feed you pain if you're being mm. bad and. Our heroes wander into this society, and they meet all the people who are suffering, and they put implants in Care Delay's brain. And basically, by this point, you realize that the basic framework of the show is these people run in three randos, run into a dystopia, and fix everything in a day. Now, try to imagine, if you will, like, let's imagine worst-case scenario about, like, Trump's America. And he really does install himself as a fascist leader mm-hmm. and their are shock troopers in the streets. Now imagine three teenagers from Amish country just wander in like men to the rest of America just, and fix everything in a day. They're, they're like, they, they walk through a door and they're just in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> they just eventually, through the sheer force of their naive goodness, everyone's just like, we really should put a stop to this, shouldn't we? And then within an hour, it's fine. Uh. <laughs> it's... When you call it cynical, it's hard for me to really accept it because ultimately it feels weirdly positive. Like young teens will solve everything. I wish that would happen today,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, In the next episode, Oro returns. Walter Koenig is back.
1: It's the return of Oro. Uh, Oro is back and Oro says, Hey, listen, I've had a change of heart. Mm -hmm. I got back to my planet. Everything is fine. And now that my immediate crisis has been resolved, I I I can solve your problem. I've decided to help you. I've been studying your culture. And he even says it's had a humanizing effect on me. Isn't that cute? (laughs) Just cute. Uh, And everyone's just like, this is great. Oro knows how to fix things. And this is wonderful. And Kare Delays just says, I don't trust him at all. But then Oro says, I found your planet. Well, you can come to our planet is what it says. Our planet is inhabitable by humans. Here's a video of our planet. Look how nice it is. And it looks like you know a bunch of stuff from Earth. This is also the episode in which we meet uh, the robot, robot, yeah, a big glowy gold robot with like lights in its face, and <laughs> just looks fun. But she's uh, got a fun attitude. She's amusing. Mm. She's got a sense of humor. She understands everything that's going on. I don't understand why they didn't take her with them. <laughs> she's great she's such a fresh because she's she, I mean, she you, doesn't know they gone through building that costume you might as well keep on using it she doesn't know everything that's going on like she doesn't like fix every problem that mm-hmm. they've got but she has a she. she's like Han Solo in Star Wars where you've got like a third of the way through Star Wars and it's great mm-hmm. but everything's really self-serious and then you have just one snarky guy a little, just, a little bit more human. just takes the air out of the room a little bit, you know? Mm. Just, just lightens things up a smidge. And I really think you could have used that in the main cast. Okay. Um. So she helps them out, and she helps them figure out that Oro actually wasn't showing them images from his planet. He was showing them but images from Earth. The Earth Archive. And-, and also his planet is barely inhabitable for mm. the human species. But Oro argues that uh, isn't barely inhabitable better than running into a star? Mm. And it ends with... The most incredible sequence in all of Star Lost where Cara DeLay and Walter Koenig debate each other to death. (laughs) They are in (laughs) pods. They are in pods, and the, the stronger their argument, as determined by this robot, the more percentage points they have. And whoever, like, builds up enough percentage points will basically kill the other person in the other pod if your arguments are so good. <laughs> they, do, they do debate each other to death. And at the end, it's actually really funny because um, Walter Koenig is all over it. He's mm-hmm. way more logical. Care delay ends up arguing in favor of the human spirit where we, uh, many humans would prefer death over subjugation. Mm-hmm. Therefore your plan to save humanity is completely illogical because we would not feel saved. And the robot ends up saying care delay won the argument based on that. And which Oro just says, that's illogical. You're biased. And the robot says, you're am biased I am biased. I was created by humans and they infuse me with their own values. There you go. And I'm like, all of this is great. It's <laughs> a little silly, obviously, but it's fun. Mm. It's crazy. They actually they do have to really represent decent argument. Or yeah. those arguments are all sound. Mm. That's a that's a good
0: writing, actually. Uh, and is this might be a strange uh, strange thing to say in twenty
1: nineteen? Walter Kane, a good actor. Yeah. He's fine. He's he's good in this. Like he never really had a lot of chances to like really stretch. Yeah, his instrument. He got typecast really quick. He's good in this. There was
0: a, another joke from Futurama where they, Walter Koenig was a guest star. It's mm. like, and they're talking to an alien that is so obsessed with Star Trek it never moved off its home planet. Isn't that the joke?
1: I remember that episode.
0: And uh, they said, "You can, do, you alien, you can do whatever you want. You can move out. You can. Do, I mean, look at all. Look at these casts. Look at Walter Koenig. After Star Trek, he became an actor." It's like... <laughs> And Walter Koenig was game. He actually oh. said, not just an actor, but a well rounded person with my own friends and apartment and keys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well done, Walter Koenig. <laughs> the episode ends with Oro trying to, to kidnap the Ark anyway. It doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, and when he has to explain that his mission failed, his people abandon him. They destroy his ship remotely, and now he is on the Ark running around. God only knows what he's going to get up to. And when I mean God only knows, I mean literally God because we never got to any of those episodes. (laughs) But they just had a bad guy running around the ship. If all of these good people running into these dystopian societies and having a positive effect gets boring, Oro could be fucking Mm. shit up. Well, and you know
0: what? This is a a ship the size of a planet. There could be literally tens of thousands of these people
1: running around. I think they gave a number. I think it's like 15,000 or something. Yeah, like like just wandering up and down the hallways. Yeah. That's a, He could really change a, the whole a, dynamic. It was a good setup. Fifteen
0: thousand is nothing when you're on like a whole planet. But yeah. you know, there are a lot of wild cards you can throw
1: into this premise. Absolutely, and that was a good idea. Mm. I wish they'd had time to do something with it. They didn't. They did bees. And <laughs> we're both, the Bees are two episodes away. Mm. Next up, we have Farthings Comet. Where they run into a uh, a bunch of astronomers, another another obsessed scientist
0: episode. Yeah, I I got a really Jonathan Swift vibe. I mean, from most from the Doctor episode as well, but from this one especially. If you remember the floating island that was in Gulliver's Travels, travels, where. um,
1: Everyone is super intelligent. Everyone is super intelligent, but their intelligence and all the things that they come up with have no practical application. Yeah. yeah, So they're studying things that are completely insignificant. So they're so they're functionally stupid. Mm. So here's a guy who he's a he's an astronomer, ostensibly a navigator. They could potentially use him to steer the ship away from the star but he's way more interested in the fact that in order to study a comet he he navigated the ship into a comet and they're like flying along with the tail of this comet Mm. and it's breaking the ship because he's a moron (laughs) And he wants to study it he wants to study all this comet and then they eventually solve everything and it's fine Mm. the next episode this is the episode that broke me it's called the beehive They run into a biosphere where they have a bunch of bees, and it makes perfect sense. A- Bees make honey. We can use that to keep mm-hmm. feeding people on the ship. B, wherever we land, they might not have bees, so you this is a great pollinate way pollinate our own seeds and yeah. our own crops. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm actually fine with the general idea. In fact, the,
0: this this is the only time that we really get an idea as to like how air and food is produced. I mean, you know, they're all biospheres. I imagine they're sort of self sustaining in some way.
1: At least in air, yeah, but that makes sense. Yeah,
0: some clearly aren't. Like they're not all agrarian spheres. So yeah. clearly, they're getting food from somewhere. True. But also, then, those, we, also, those thousands of people wandering the hallways need to be getting food from
1: somewhere. Exactly. So bees are one of the things they do. And mm-hmm. they do explain in this episode that there's a lot of specialists doing stuff like this all over the ship. And mm-hmm. they focus on bees. And there's a lot of like zoological biospheres that are only keeping track of animals and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So we got a couple of scientists who are hanging out with all these bees. And they're just doing bee stuff. And it's great. Problem is there's a weird humming noise that is affecting the bees and making them more attacky than usual, which leads to killer bees, which leads to not just like, oh, no, the bees have have gone bad and we need those bees. So we really Mm. can't, like, kill them. So what does it boil down to? Turns out that there are four giant bees like the size of a Norton Commando (laughs) motorcycle that are not bigger than that. They were like tanks. They're pretty damn big, giant tank bees, and it's an absurd reveal because it just shows like Rachel and Garth just walking into a room and going, "What the fuck?" And then it's through a window. There are just these giant blown up images of bees just hanging out, being bees. But it turns out that those giant bees, bees, <laughs> bees. <laughs> that's I, our new. It's our new shirt design. Are, are they Airbnb's? Well, they fly. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, the bees. Are psych are not only like using their humming noises to psych to psychically control the other bees, they're also psychically controlling the doctor in charge of the bees. That's right. The bees are psychically controlling the people, and the bees have got a plan to take over the now, ship with all of their bee army. That
0: would have been great if he was like, "Gee, I could, I really need to bring all our moist garbage to the
1: bees."
0: <laughs> I just have this weird impulse to, to shovel.
1: Bee food. What a bee, bee. He just he starts walking around the ship going, Me want honeycomb, me want honeycomb, <laughs> me want honeycomb. And he mutates into that thing from the honeycomb commercial. <laughs> it's all bee manipulation. It's so unbelievably stupid <laughs> that I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Bees. Uh, we, we have lost the premise at this point. Oh, yeah. If, oh, yeah. 15 episodes this, in, we're, we're done. So, and, like, so is...
0: Harlan Ellison, what are you saying here? That. that Owning uh, an apiary is a like a, a an
1: evolutionary cul de sac. It's important to remember that Harlan Ellison didn't write every episode well, here. That's he true. wrote the Bible, which apparently they only used part of. Uh, he wrote the first episode, which got rewritten, hmm. uh, and I think he and then he had his name taken off. Uh, no, it, and I think he broke down with some of the writers, like another like six or seven episodes, oh. and I bet they were mostly the first episodes because those are the ones that tend to be a little stronger in terms of premise. Hmm. I'll bet you anything the bees were not Harlan Ellison. Well, no. The bees are pretty fucking... Sl- like, say you'll about Harlan Ellison, and it's probably true. <laughs> I bet he didn't do the bee thing. The bee thing is a little stupid for Harlan yeah. Ellison. Uh, which, which leads us to our very last episode, Space Precinct. Not to be confused with the short-lived show Space Precinct, which we will no doubt get to at some point, mm. produced by uh, the great puppeteer Jerry Anderson. Nope, this is another space precinct, and this Uh, one opens... That's
0: the title of the episode, by the way.
1: It's the last episode of the show. That's not something we made up. delay. Devin is Delay's character. Devin, Rachel, and Garth wandering down the ship, and then Garth just says... I'm sick of this, guys. This sucks. Like, this is your thing. This is not my thing. I'm Mm -hmm. the normal guy here who just keeps falling in love and beating people up, and I, I don't do much... I'm not helping you guys. I'm not really a useful part of the Mm. show. So I'm just going to leave you here. Like, Mm. you guys go do your own thing. You're in love anyway. I'm a third wheel regardless. Mm. I'm just going to go. I'll find another biosphere. I'll find a place to live. I could have stayed behind at half a dozen places we've already been. Mm. I'll just find one. (laughs) And Devin and Rachel are, like, put up a little bit of struggle. Like, oh, no. No, not Garth. (laughs) <laughs> we needed Garth for strategic sheep purposes. And then Garth leaves, and then like Rachel and Devin move on. And Rachel and Devin, there's like have a moment a couple scenes later where it's like, I miss Garth. And Devin's oh. just like, yeah. So remember that Garth guy? Yeah, Garth, Garth was pretty cool. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> then less. they end up on a freight elevator with no oxygen in it, because it's just a freight elevator.
0: Well, and Garth ends up getting uh
1: recruited by the space precinct. Well, I was gonna get to that. Right. So like so while Devin and Rachel are just <laughs> Out of the episode the ship. Yeah. Garth ends up recruiting. It feels like a backdoor pilot for another show called Space Precinct. Yeah. In which Garth is recruited to be the newest detective on the cops on the space on the uh-huh. Earth ship arc. Who are also in league with another interstellar space precinct that wants to recruit humanity to join its ranks. Hmm. Meanwhile, one of the new space cops might be a traitor. Is it Garth? no that would be stupid but half the episode is based on the idea that maybe it is <laughs> so, so it turns out it's this person no wait it was this person mm-hmm. and we're good and the episode ends with them solving the problems at the space precinct garth still in the space precinct and devin and rachel still in an elevator yeah that's it that's where the series ends that's the whole damn It's, it's not even a cliffhanger. No. It just sort of ends. I wish yeah. it had ended with the Oro episode, because at least that's a cliffhanger. Like, it, it, the bad guy's out yeah, there. The bad, and, and it bad teases you, know, you with the possibilities you of a you're a new, thinking. Like, a slightly different, ch- slightly changed premise yeah, It feels like a, it feels like a season finale. Yeah, it is. And then, like, next season, things will be a little different, and we'll have a recurring bad guy, and it would work. Here, it's just... We forgot to end the show. Now there were written, there were a few other episodes written, mm. but uh, they didn't get made. Um, uh, what Was a uh, God that died was uh-huh. another great title, and a show called People in the Dark, which I have to imagine is a biosphere where the lights were broken centuries mm. ago. Yeah. Um, but that's basically it. That's mm. the Starlust.
0: Yeah. Was it canceled too soon? Mm. I'm actually. No, okay, no. Okay. Don't, don't think about the good premise. Okay. Or, or the setting or all the things that I know you're thinking of right now. There's
1: a lot of things I really like about this show, look, actually.
0: Look, think of the next episode of the show we got. <laughs> think of season two, episode one, 1974, Star Lost, same cast. With
1: no help from Harlan Ellison at no all. No help
0: from Harlan Ellison at all, same sh- low budget, same bad backgrounds.
1: Okay, you're same right. The show stupid wasn't, comi- the show co- wasn't canceled too soon. However,. If anyone rebooted it, I think it would be a good idea. It would be
0: a great idea to reboot the Star
1: Lost. Okay, you're right. It is right. ripe you're for right.
0: rebooting. But no, I don't want more of this Star Lost. This was a chore.
1: <laughs> it's slow moving. There's a reason it took us a while to get, to the, yeah, get through this one. This one was for, a real slog. It's, it's
0: 16 episodes, and it's 16 long episodes. There's like 50 we, minutes We had H. to put this thing off a long time. We apologize, dear listeners, for as long as we had to put it this thing off. It wasn't for lack of trying. We were really pushing ourselves through it. It was just really difficult to get through the Star Lost good golly, no, this was not canceled too soon. No. There,
1: but there's so many things that were really interesting. Yeah, and the concept the fa- is great. And the failure of the production's interesting. And if you, yeah. There's like this hour-long interview with Harlan Ellison about it, which is just Harlan Ellison. Just cussing for 60 Bing, minutes. It, yeah. Just a just a dick what a wonderful dick he was so the people who didn't even hurt him you know yeah. just just yeah. he's just he was just a crotchety man yeah but he told the whole story and it's really fascinating and it's worth listening to And you can find it on youtube just mm-hmm. a black screen in his audio uh but it's about an hour long totally worth listening to i highly recommend it um the show does not really have a cult like it's prominent enough that it's got like a dvd release and you can mm-hmm. track it down i want to thank uh, people who sent it to us Uh, But, um, yeah, there's a reason this didn't take off. Mm -hmm. It's cheap. It's slow. There's some really good ideas in here. But after a couple episodes, you get the gist of it, and you're done. Mm -hmm. So The Star Lost, yeah, it wasn't canceled too soon. Mm -hmm. It was was canceled um, about right. I wish we'd we'd had a better ending. Yeah. I wish there'd been, like, one more episode where we could have actually, like, maybe not ended the story, but just put everything together. Mm-hmm. You know, just giving us a little bit more of a some a, a grace note to end on, something. Mm-hmm. A last note. Uh, you know
0: what well what I think what should have happened is if they knew the show the end of the show was coming and Harlan Ellison had anything to do with it at all, they just would have blown up the arc. Yeah. It would have ended with the munitions episode, where they've been building all of these weapons to start a war that's never coming. Everything's really polluted. They try to stop everything. Is like, oh, well, somebody tried to stop us. And then it's like Dr. Strangelove. Automatically, all the bombs go off, and the whole ship arc just it's, blows up.
1: It's depressing ending, but yeah. it makes and, sense.
0: And and, and maybe, like, one person, like, a, a young child makes their way out into a pod, and that's the one hope I think a few
1: pe- I think a few people escape on one of the escape pods, and they, like, mm-hmm. make it to the space precinct or something like that, but yeah, basically right, Earth right. is doomed. Yeah. Uh, it's a cynical show made a little less cynical by the fact that it's a serialized narrative in which things get better every episode, but mm-hmm. even so. Uh, So that's the Star Lost. Thank you, everybody, for joining us to review the Star Lost. We have one more episode until we get to Gastly Tober, (laughs) which I have once again named without telling Whitney.
0: Thank you for naming it (laughs) Gastly Tober. I think Gastly Tober is like a hair better than Scary
1: Tober. I liked Scary Tober. I only changed it because you didn't like it. Thank you. I liked Scary. Thanks for changing Scary Tober into Gastly Tober. Ah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so like, so we have one more episode before Ghastly October, and every episode in October will be a review of a horror-themed TV show. Mm-hmm. Currently, there is a poll for every single episode. You get to pick every single episode we review in October. You just have to go to our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash Critic Acclaim. For one dollar a month, you get to vote. Mm. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes. For $10, you get more bonus episodes. For $20, you get, all get commentary tracks. Yeah. Uh, and also, we have a Google Hangout where we need to schedule really, really soon. So okay, let's yeah. do that. Um, but uh, so that's all there. And we have stuff. There's a whole week where turns out there's a ton of failed TV shows based on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole uh, week where not, all of the options are about shows about like haunted or scary locations. Mm. Uh, there's another one that's only um, horror anthology shows because mm. those are some of our favorite shows to do. And to many of our listeners' favorite shows, they've told us, are horror anthologies mm. um, and tons of other stuff as well. Um, and then in November, we've got Suddenly Last Season where we review only shows that were mm. uh, canceled, that, were, that started and were canceled last year. Yeah. Uh, And we've already got most of the decisions set on that. We need to determine uh, what the poll will be for that, but that poll won't run until Mm. October. Also, on this podcast network, stick around, because in about a week, week and a half, we're going to be changing the name of the podcast feed. Yeah. The podcast feed, you'll still get canceled too soon on it, but it's going to change its name to the Critically Acclaimed Network because we're going to start putting other types of programming on here uh, so that they can all be under one banner. So we're going to have the Critically Acclaimed show where we review new movies Mm. and uh, talk about various issues uh, relating to contemporary film. We're going to do more letters episodes. Those will be their own thing here on the network. We are free to try other things. Maybe that don't have nothing anything to do with TV and movies. Or well, maybe even don't don't have anything to do with us. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk to some people. We'll get some friends on
0: here. Yeah, there's we'll, tons let's of stuff. grow our network. We, we,
1: want to, we want to explore a bit more. We love Cancel Too Soon, and it's going to stay. We're doing mm. it. It's our flagship. It's our baby. We love it. Uh, but we just want a little bit more freedom to do other stuff. Mm. If you've been following us on the show's No Network, the two-shot is going to remain there at least for a while. Yeah, uh, we had some. Like, we have a nice relationship with them. They have a really nice audience. They, We're going to stick around over there for a bit. They wanted a piece of us to remain, so a piece <laughs> of us
0: shall to remember the
1: spy. Um, so, uh, so that's the future. So, if this changes name to the critically acclaimed network, don't be alarmed. Cancel mm. too soon is right there. We're going to be there every week or every week and a half sometimes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but that's the case, and you, of course you can subscribe on Patreon, Patreon.com/CriticAcclaim. You can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William DeBiany. I'm at Whitney Seibold, uh, and we will see you next week for Nearly Departed. It's a sitcom. Yeah, we don't do a lot of sitcoms mm. because a lot of sitcoms are kind of samey. Yeah. You know, like oh, it's a bad dad. Okay. Okay. That doesn't that doesn't really excite us. But this is a sitcom starring Eric Idle as a ghost who hates the family that lives in his new house. It's basically Beetlejuice the series if mm. Alec Baldwin was Eric Idle. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see that, and it came after Beetlejuice. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of sh- a shameless ripoff. I, I guarantee you, some executive was just like, "Do we have anything like Beetlejuice? We have this Eric Idle thing. We'll do that. All, all right." right. <laughs> so we're going to do <laughs> Nearly Departed on the next episode of Councilly Soon. It's not Halloween related, but it's got ghosts, so it's kind of a transitional. Le-
0: leading into Halloween.
1: And then after that, it will be all the shows that you ask us to do on Patreon. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, I'm forgetting anything, Wendy. I feel like there's a lot of information backloaded into the episode. No,
0: we we that's that's pretty much it. We cool. have you know, be sure to listen to the monthly movie we just did recently if you're a Patreon mm-hmm. subscriber at that
1: level. We just did uh, a co-ed Call Girl with mm-hmm. Tori spelling, and then next month we're gonna do as sort of a, a palate palette cleanser for all the horror stuff we're doing, we're doing the miniseries World War Three. That's right. Which was a big epic TV miniseries about what if the Cold War erupted into World War Three. And that was, that was from the eighties.
0: Yeah. So um, all about the Soviets. And the Soviets were a big problem.
1: Oh, yeah. Unlike today. So uh, so that's uh, waiting for you in October as well. We just did a commentary track for My Little Pony Equestria Girls Rainbow Rocks, which mm-hmm. led to a long philosophical discussion about the works of Nietzsche. And uh, that's also available on our Patreon as well. Next month, we're going to be doing a commentary track for Jupiter Ascending. Uh, Which is a movie that Whitney and I stick up for, even though everyone tells us we're dumb. (laughs) (sighs) And other stuff as well. we got to get going. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season.